Hello and welcome to Inside Scoop Live. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Today I'm speaking with Janine Kellogg, author of The Two Corps Journey, an epic action adventure certain to entertain readers of all ages from middle grade years to adults. Before we start, let's learn a little bit more about Janine. Janine loves a grand adventure and a great story. She has traveled to 15 countries and her adventures include hiking in New Zealand, sea kayaking above the Arctic Circle, and wading through rice fields in Thailand. Yet she has grown certain that the great inspirations are found not in distant adventures, but in the often overlooked details of everyday life. Janine's career has spanned a variety of industries and roles, but it has mostly involved analyzing lots of numbers and telling stories in numbers. Mid-career, she switched it up and started telling stories in words. She loves ice cream, guinea pigs, mathematics, children, history, practical jokes, family, Thai food, friends, music, and of course, writing. Janine enjoys nothing more than encouraging kids to seize life's wonderful adventure and take the lead in their own powerful journey. To learn more about Janine Kellogg and her book, The Two Course Journey, visit her website at janinekellogg.com. Well, hi, Janine. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Thank you. It's good to be here, and I'm excited to talk about my book. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about it. So uh, tell us, what is The Two Course Journey about? Well, it's about three kids, three siblings, and they are invited into this battle to stop these creatures called Gresniks from blowing up Earth. And the Gresniks were sent here from a powerful forest far away, and they have one goal, and that's to destroy all life on Earth. And they were supposed to come and blow the planet up and leave, but they got stuck. And they're stuck here with the intent of trying to get off and the intent to shatter the Earth. And these kids got invited into this battle to stop them. And the book goes all over the world in the adventure. It's an action adventure, and it's a crazy wild story. Yeah. And what inspired you to write The Two Course Journey? Well, I've always loved writing stories, but this one started actually, uh, I was on vacation with my family, and I was with my nephews, and we were diving in water for these imaginary stones, these powerful stones that creatures were trying to get. And I wrapped a story around this game that we were playing. And the kids loved the story, and then they wanted more of the story. And we, while on vacation, we kept playing that game. And then driving home, I was just telling the story out loud. And when they'd see me again, they'd ask me for more of the story. And this kind of continued over four years, actually. And they were asking for it to be written down. And it was something that was just sort of half told out loud, half yeah. written down. And, and they kept wanting more. And I thought, gosh, if other kids like this as much as they do, maybe I have something here. So I ended up cleaning the book up, you know, writing it all down and, and sharing it with other kids just to find out, do other kids like this as much as they do? And they did. And so then it kind of grew into a serious project from there where I then decided, you know, this is going to be my first book. It's a story which <laughs> kind of started accidentally on vacation. And as I was editing, I kept sharing it with kids to kind of test it out. And in particular, because a lot of kids are being pulled in a lot of directions with video gaming and lots of different things that are attracting their attention. So before I spent more time on it, I thought, let me make sure kids like it. And they did. And so as I decided to take this seriously, then the other big reason I decided to do it was I think kids need a lot of encouragement these days. And the, the main theme of the book is that every kid, no matter their circumstance, no matter where they're from or their skills or their lack of skills, 
they have an important mission in life. They are called to fight against encroaching darkness in this world, and that's what the Gresniks are in the book. It's kind of a, a allegory to the slithering force of evil in our world, and we are all called to battle that, and we all have an important mission in that, and of equal importance. We all have a powerful purpose. You know, encouraging a child to see that they have a God-given purpose in their life and they have a meaningful life, I think that's a great antidote to so much of the sense of purposelessness or despair that seems to be so prevalent now. So I really, you know, with a, as a writer, you're home alone writing and editing and, yeah. and to stick with that perseverance, it was really that desire to share encouragement with kids and that's really why I wrote it. That's a great story. And I love that you were able to test it out on kids, too, because aren't they the best audience? You know, it was interesting. You know, the kids were ages 9 to 17. And it's amazing the insights that they had. And I would sit down with them. I did not know them. And then after they would read it, I would sit down with them and just chat with them about their feedback. And it, the wisdom that comes out of a child can be quite quite amazing. And it was interesting to get their feedback. And they had some great feedback about parts that they didn't like or didn't, you know, yeah. or parts that they loved. And then I would also talk to the parents, too, of the kids that had read it. Because they were reading, you know, in the industry, they call them an ARCs, advanced reader copies. And they have a fancy cover and they're all almost print ready to go to market. This was copied off at a photocopy. You know, was, there was no cover. There was no illustrations. And so they were re- reading a very early version and yeah. and whipping through it and enjoying it. And so that, that gives you inspiration to go the whole uh, marathon to get it done. So Oh, that's great. Yeah, I had fun. And I love that it introduces kids to, like, different kinds of animals and locations that, you know, aren't so ordinary Tell us about some of these animals and and locations that you do feature in the story. Yeah, the book has two threads that interweave and intersect in this big adventure and the uh, battle adventure in the end. And the Gresnik's journey goes all over the world, and the kids do as well. But it goes to, you know, these places that kids wouldn't necessarily hear about. And when I visit schools, I bring pictures and photos of these places and animals that are in the book. And it's so fun for me to see how delighted the kids are to see these unusual animals in unexpectedly beautiful places. Yeah. For example, there's um, in China they have a place called the Whitewater Terraces, which is these cascading waterfall of um, these in the rock is white. It's from calcium carbonate coming from a, a mountain upstream, and it's these beautiful waterfalls. They also have something called the Rainbow Mountains, which are this phenomenon of geology that's just quite beautiful, as well as the Republic of Georgia and the Caucasus Mountains. They're just stunningly beautiful, and the defense towers that were there from the medieval time period that people mm-hmm. have lived in. And it's just a lot of different places that kids wouldn't necessarily hear about. Right. And then animals, animals too, that are uh, in Papua New Guinea, for example, there were some scientists that uh, went into a, a very remote dormant volcano crater and discovered some species that were not recorded yet or understood yet. And those, those are in the book, a very large rat and a... Uh, it's called the silky couscous, and it's fun to talk to kids about that, and it helps encourage them to see the world as a place of discovery. There is still so many beautiful places that we can learn about, research about, travel, discover, and the world is still a place of great discovery and a great adventure, and that 
it was part of why I incorporated so many different places and animals in the book. Yeah. Now, did you have an opportunity to visit some of these places or was it all uh, through your research? Uh, it was part of my research. I've traveled a lot in my life and have always had a fascination with remote places. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was a kid, my parents would take us on uh, vacations to remote places, you know, where you bring your own food, you hike your own food in, you're out on the trail for a week um, or longer, and you're just living without cell phones, without running water and all of that. Doing that at a young age created a sense of adventure and and I love research, so it kind of combined my background in remote travel with places that I hadn't been to. And another place I put in the book right in the opening is a river in North Korea. And the Gresnik storyline starts there, and it's a location of a battle in the Korean War. And it's a place that you can't travel to. You can't just decide, gosh, I'm going to go and discover this river and vacation there. And right. I found that it just it wanted to do that as the start of the book as a place that we can't actually easily travel to. So that was fun to put that in the book and research it and then share some of that with kids when I'm out at schools talking with them. Yeah, I love all the adventure featured in your story. And what kind of impact do you hope that that has on the readers? Like, you know, showing them different outdoor adventures and, and what they can do and incorporate into their own lives. It's so much, I think, for kids now is our devices. And it's not just kids, it's adults. We are all on our devices and discovering uh, nature through an Instagram feed and seeing a pretty picture of a bird or a beautiful location. And in the book, the kids... You know, to fight the Gresnicks, you can't really use electronic devices. You can't, you know, there's no um, cell phone. These kids have to, there's no magic in this book. Um, the kids have to use their own ingenuity and their own imagination to solve the problems. And I think when kids get out in nature or get far away, they get removed from a lot of that stimulation, all that affirmation that you get in social media, and they have a chance for their minds to discover and imagine. And I would be so pleased if a kid read the book and thought, gosh, I'd like to get out and discover those places. Maybe not as a kid, maybe they don't have an opportunity, but as they grow up, maybe say, you know, I want to be out in the world and I want to adventure in places that I haven't been. And maybe that it might not necessarily be China's remote um, whitewater terraces, but it might be mm -hmm. something in their backyard even, just a few hours away from their home, a beautiful park or a beautiful place that they can discover. And that would be so rewarding to me if I encouraged that sense of adventure with a kid as he's read the book and heard about these different places. And to also help them see that they are self-reliant, that we have so much within us that we can discover and do and on our own and with our own imagination and unleashing that imagination with kids is so important to me. Yeah. And, and the characters in the story are amazing. I mean, the parents are quirky, and then you have the mysterious farmer and, of course, the Gresnicks. But the thing of it is that the kids have to go in and solve the problem. Like, nobody gives them the answers. Nobody tells them how this it's going to all work out. They have to figure it out. And so they go on this amazing adventure, and I really fell in love with your characters, and I, I wanted to hear a little bit more about them. How did you develop your characters? Well, it, thank you for saying that. I, that brings joy to, in my heart to hear that someone loves the characters and we're connected <laughs> to them. I, I love hearing that. You know, at this 
story, like I said, I tested out on some kids, and it was interesting. And the the book early on didn't have some some of the backstory of the Gresnicks that where the book starts. Mm-hmm. And the kids had questions, and they had very perceptive questions about why things were. And in answering those questions, the characters became kind of thicker or more deep. Mm. And for example, the two Gresnik characters that are very different, Scarb and Jatu, those two characters, one is a deformed Gresnik and the other one fits right in. And I won't go into all of that. It's, it's a yeah. long story. But, um, you know, looking at that and saying, you know, don't we all feel a bit like Scarb mm-hmm. or we don't fit in and we don't quite have all the pieces that we're supposed to have? So I created that character because I think we all identify with that a little bit of that we're in battle with a lot of forces or negative Activity around us about who we are and what our purpose is. So I wrapped that character around that sort of that inner feeling we have of, am I adequate? Am I good enough? Do I have the right skills to make it through this world? And we all get kind of picked on as we go through the world a little bit too. That's just part of the human experience. And how do we respond to that? And so trying to incorporate that type of thread, a character thread that we all have and sort of these allegorical creatures was something that I did in in response to a lot of kids' questions. And then the parents uh, in the book are, you know, the kids start out in New York in this very lavish lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And as I was writing the book, I was filling out some of that story and I ran across an Associated Press article and the title of it was that people entrust a Madoff with money again, something like that. And it was a negative connotation, clickbait in a way about how could people be so dumb to trust Madoff with money again. So, of course, you click through. And it turned out it was about a granddaughter who was in school and had gotten elected to a treasurer of student council or something like that. And it struck me as what an irresponsible journalist yeah. <laughs> to to uh, sort of create a, an opportunistic opportunity by, you know, throwing a granddaughter on the, the bus. At the time, Bernie Madoff was arrested. Yeah. She would have only been a small child. I don't even know if she would have been born yet even. And it struck me as, how do kids overcome the sins or the pains or the mistakes of those that go before them? Do they inherit them? Mm-hmm. Do they live within them? And I felt sorry for this kid. She might have, you know, who knows what her story is. I don't know. But, you know, now she's out in Associated Press with a, with a terrible <laughs> headline. Right. right. And, um, and so the grandfather in this story is kind of inspired by sort of a Madoff character. He's, he's a bit of a scoundrel. And these kids live under that umbrella. They're, they're privileged because of it, but they lose everything. They lose everything and their name gets disgraced. And that was an inspiration of, you know, a lot of kids are living inside pain right now with, you know, the amount of drug addiction that we have out there. And not every kid, I don't want to make it sound like a doomsday scenario in our right. culture, but there we do have a lot of serious things going on. And to present a story where these kids have to dig their way out of that, they have to find and they do it through adventure and, like you said, solving the problems and working it through and their parents are, are kind of self-focused, self-centered, and not really engaged. They care. They, they, they want their kids successful, but really because of how it casts a shadow, on a bright shadow for them, as opposed to really empowering their own children. So 
Mm-hmm. These kids have to find their way, and so that was the inspiration of that character and then how it affects the grandkids. And, you know, each character in the book, um, like Scarb, the name Scarb is a uh, Polish word for treasure. Um, oh, okay. So there, there's some hidden meanings in some of the names, not all the names, but, yeah, yeah so, oh, I could talk forever about all that, but, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. There's a lot of things going on. I love that. So how do you categorize it? Is it adventure, fantasy, a little bit of dystopian? How would you categorize your work? Yeah, I purposely wrote a story that kind of blends a few different categories, which from an industry standpoint, um, the people at the big publishers would say, no, you got to stay inside the lane. But kids don't stay inside lanes. They live, especially in the middle grade, they live in a real world. They have one foot kind of in the imaginary youthful phase of their life, and they have one step where they're kind of going towards adulthood where um, imagination tends to be less encouraged. And so I wanted to blend those two worlds. So the Gresnicks, the creatures, these evil creatures in the book, they are fantastical, but the book does take place in the real world. So it has a real-world element to it. So... I place it inside an action adventure, and then I say it has a fantastical element to it. But it is not dystopian, and the reason I say that is there's been a lot of literature. It's been a big trend with dystopian, and this is not that, where you have this end-of-world scenario. Even though the Gresnicks are here to end the world, to blow it up, Mm -hmm. but it's not an end-of-world scenario where the evil has already come into the world in a grand scale and everyone else has to form tribes and kill each other off for the last man standing kind of thing. And you aren't born into a tribe where that gives you power. There, You don't get a wand where you get magic. So it doesn't have this sense of hopelessness that can come with dystopian where it's just the strongest one who can kill the most people wins. And it is about a fight for the world, but every generation gets called into that battle. And kids have to use their own skills and imagination to invent and solve the problems that they're facing. And I think in some cases that that dystopian negative world is not bringing hope to kids and I think our goal as writers is to instill hope and purpose for them Um, talk about real world issues and real world problems but give a sense of hope in the end right right I agree and I do like how it it kind of blends the genres and I think that's that is becoming more acceptable because I think so many people are doing it and so many readers love it so You know, you take a risk to do something that doesn't fit inside the narrow lane of where the industry kind of wants you to be at times. And I've been so pleased that the kids have uh, reacted so strongly to it. I had a parent tell me that their kid was up reading the book by flashlight. They had already (laughs) turned off the light and the flashlight went on to finish reading. Um, I had another parent tell me their daughter was homesick and all she wanted was the second book and so that was my thrill I I love that yeah and uh, another parent said his son had never read a book that long and he was so proud to have gotten through the book and he loved it and he did a book report on it it was his favorite book so that is the feedback that brings me great joy you you spend a lot of time alone as a writer you know Mm -hmm. forming out this story and I did test it out, but even so, you, you launch it, and that's the feedback that brings great joy. And I think it does deal with some serious issues, but it's not depressing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. some great feedback. I love that, all those stories. Yeah, I was thrilled with it. Yeah. So what what is your favorite part about being an author? 
I love storytelling. Um, I don't get writer's block. I can sit for hours writing. It was just great joy and launching the imagination unhinged to create something. But I would say that inspiration or the desire to keep that going really comes from I love working with kids. I love being out in the schools and seeing that and talking with a kid about a story. So I would say when you pop out of that as a writer and you go out into the world with this thing you've created and I engage with the kids, that is what I really do love. I love that excitement. I love hearing from them. You know, part of why I wrote it is to tell a child that you are a powerful story. Your life is a story. And one of the messages I give when I go out to schools is just I ask them early on, how many of you see yourself like me? And I hold my, you know, my big chapter book in front of them, and I do this third graders all the way up. And I say, how many of you think you're a storyteller like me? And very few kids raise their hands. You know, a couple will, and they do it tentatively. And I say to them, you know, look at, I want you to remember one thing from this presentation, that you are a storyteller just like me. And I want you to walk away with that. And then I frame that out for the rest of my visit. But my primary goal there is to say that we all are, have this incredible amount of imagination. We just manifest it differently. Some of us write stories. Some of us create, you know, rockets. Some of us create uh, houses we build, we're doctors, we're, um, you know, you could, any, any profession requires us to use imagination to solve the problems that we're paid to solve. Right. And that's what I want them to translate from reading the book, from my school visit. It's why I write, it's why I tell stories, is that we are all powerful storytellers, every single one of us. And that sharing that message is the greatest joy for me as an author that they can walk away feeling empowered to tell their own story, however that might be. Yeah. And as adults, you know, you look back and you're like, why didn't I channel all that creativity when I was younger, you know, because they, Oh, I know. Find creativity in in everything there. The curiosity is there. So I I would love to see more um, young writers. Yeah, I like what you're saying because it's so true. As we look back on life, we can say, gosh, I didn't realize when I was young how much opportunity was before me. And sometimes there isn't. Sometimes things happen in our life. That's the other part of my presentation with kids is I, you know, I create an analogy around it that I don't have time to go into here, but the analogy is acorns falling from the sky, things that that hit us in the head unexpectedly Mm. that interrupt our path. And that, and when I talk to them about storytelling, I explain to them that in the beginning of a book, there's always, for the main character, there's something that happens that changes that trajectory of the character and creates that tension in the story. And that's why you keep turning the page. Yeah. And the reason that we keep turning the page is it's so much like our own life, that we have these things that hit our life, smash into our head, and take us off course. And there isn't a person on earth that doesn't have a surprise that sends them off the path that they thought they were on. And how the character responds to that in the book creates the interest and tension, and how we respond to it creates the path and journey in our story and our life. And that's the other piece that kids really identify with, because there's this sense in all of us sometimes, gosh, that was unfair. I didn't deserve that, whether it's cancer or an accident or something that truly is unfair that happened at school, but then how we respond to that. And as writers, we create the tension by how the character responds. And in life, uh, that tension is just part of our life and how we respond and 
and that creativity and imagination that you mentioned is such a critical part of how we face life. Creativity is in every profession, and it's always there. And how we encourage that as that kid moves from child to adulthood is how well they're going to be able to adapt to this crazy world that we're in. Yeah. And when I'm with kids, I ask them, how many of you think that you're going to be flying a jetpack to school instead of the school bus, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they, of course, some of them say yes, and, you know, they get a lot of chatter around that question. And then I say, you know, you grew up knowing that we landed a man on the moon, that we put, we took a rocket up there. I said, but when kids were your age back then, that was crazy. No one thought you could land someone on the moon and then come back to Earth. Uh, the imagination that, that we could do that and we could make that happen and I want to say, look at, be that kid that designed the jetpack, you know, yeah. or be the kid that does something like that. Because at that era, the people that decided they were going to land someone on the moon, everyone else said they were crazy. <laughs> so unleashing that imagination is the kernel that I want to leave with them to say, hey, you've got a story. You've got an amazing story. My story is about kids that unleash that. And that's you too in your life, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Now, on the flip side, is there one trend in teen literature that society can do without? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I published independently, so I'm an indie author, as they say. And, you know, if you're going to launch your own business in this, you've you got to look more broadly at the industry, what's happening, who's what publishers are making money, which ones aren't, who's making money, and how are they making this work? You know, not that we write books always to just make a fortune at it. This isn't a business that is highly profitable, but it, right. it does look out at the landscape and say what's working and what's not working. And I did quite a bit of research on that before going forward. And I want to mention a National Institute of Health study that came out recently that linked, I believe it was a 30% increase in suicides among children ages 10 to 17. And they linked it with the release of the book on the TV series, 13 Reasons Why. Wow. And what's sad about that is, you know, there's a trend, and I don't want to throw them under the bus. They maybe had really good intentions of why they wrote that, why they produced the video series. But the net effect, it didn't work out as planned, I don't think. And the intent was, an industry intent, was to say we need to present more reality. But if we put reality for reality's sake, we're just creating buzz. You know, we're just being crass, vulgar, violent. Um, or explicit in a lot of cases, and doing that without creating some sort of context of hope or purpose, I think had the opposite effect. In the case of 13 Reasons Why, instead of raising the issue of suicide, it inadvertently glamorized it as a viable alternative for handling one's own sense of misery or hopelessness. Yeah. And a 30% spike is huge, and when we see a spike like that, it you know, there's a lot of broader cultural things going on, someone will retort with that answer saying, hey, you can't blame it on one single book. But that was a hugely popular, massive launch of a video series that a lot of kids did watch, and it was a graphic portrayal of a suicide. I don't think we always have to write with every explicit detail and blood and yeah. um, sexual content in order to be impactful on those topics. I think the human imagination, like we talked about before, is very, very powerful. We can create more in our minds than what can be portrayed on the paper. And sometimes what we leave 
out is more powerful than what we put in. And I think that trend, when you look at the statistics of how the publishing industry is doing, it's not doing well in relative to other entertainment, you know, video games and stuff, but that's a slightly different tangent. But, mm-hmm. you know, we just came off the Book Expo and they had an industry, you know, state of the publishing industry today program in which they said the total children's market declined by 10% in the first quarter of 2019. 10% is a huge decline. Maybe we don't have enough hope and inspiration inside our stories that is something that inspires a kid to say, hey, I have purpose. I have hope. Yes, there's bad things happening around, but I have a mission in this to make the world better and push kids forward in that direction. I was at a librarian continuing ed thing, and one of the librarians said her kids come up to her and ask her, why does she have so many depressing things that are getting recommended all the time? And her response rather callously was depressing cells. That's how she responded to the child. And when you answer a child depressing cells, that says, hey, you know, be depressed, be depressing, be negative, and boy, that's your ticket to success. And what a message does that send? That's an issue I can talk a lot about, but just at a high level, I think we as a community of writers, content creators, and that includes video games, Mm -hmm. but all content creators got to look at what we're doing. If we create revenue simply by being crass, vulgar, and create buzz around that, sure, we might get a lot of followers on our feeds and our programs, but I don't think we've really created value. You know, that's a broader conversation, but I do think that trend needs to change. Yeah. You talked a little bit about gaming, and the two-course journey is popular among gamers. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's interesting. When I was testing the readers at the time, Fortnite wasn't out. It was Minecraft. And I was very specific about getting Minecraft users <laughs> as readers. And because um, I was just curious, you know, if I can't compete against Minecraft, you know, there's no chance my book is going to sell. <laughs> because Minecraft was hugely popular. Little did I know that right around the corner was Fortnite, which made mincemeat out of Minecraft. <laughs> But the gaming world, you know, it's interesting. You go to these industry conferences. I've been to writers' conferences and publishing conferences, and there might be a mention of video games. There might be. But I would say to the industry people might say, oh, who are you? You're just a small indie publisher, you know. (laughs) But I am going to say this. The gaming should be a conversation that is at every single publishing conference. And I would say even the the not only limited to children's books, but I'm going to focus on children's in this Mm -hmm. particular conversation. But what I find is they don't really want to talk about it. It's kind of like cancer. You know, you don't want to talk about it because the prognosis isn't so good. But like cancer, if it's something you could die from, you know, you might want to talk about how you're going to react and fight it. Right. And the data is pretty astounding. When you look at the revenue of Scholastic, Scholastic in 2018 had $1.6 billion in revenue, which sounds like a large number. But Fortnite alone, the company Epic Games that um, has Fortnite, their profit, the profit was $3 billion. Oh, my gosh. And that, when you compare it to Scholastic, yeah. you know, and Scholastic's revenue was down year over year, their children's publishing was down, their education segment was down, their international segment was down, and Book Expo reported the children's book publishing down 10%. Those, you know, I can venture a pretty educated statement to say that, gosh, that's probably related. Yeah. And I'm guessing that when you talk to the, you know, children's book publishers, I'd be curious to know if how many of them really know the names of the top gamers out there. <laughs> From a writer standpoint, you go to the writer conferences and they complain about how, gosh, you know, you don't get advances anymore. 
the book publishers don't put marketing dollars behind your book. But you go into the gaming convention, and the money is going into the gaming world. And the publishers in the industry will complain about Amazon, you know, this big monolith Amazon and the impact on book publishing. But I would argue that it's not Amazon book sales that are a competitor, but Amazon's Twitch. Twitch, for example, had in May of 2018, so this is, you know, one-year-old data. It's higher than this now at this point probably, but 8.9 billion minutes of Fortnite were viewed on Twitch. That's Twitch alone with other streaming devices. That's up from 6.3 billion the year before. And the total Fortnite playing in May to June of 2018 was 2.7 billion hours. And the revenue, the amount of money that is going into this, authors might not be getting advances, but gamers are. When a game launches, those top gamers will get, you know, 15,000 viewers at once and about $25,000 an hour to to be streaming. The money is significant. And the reason I bring that up is publishers, we've got to say, how are we going to compete against this? Now, there's a couple of responses. You throw up your arms and say, oh, there's no way that a book can have as much, you know, interest to a child as to playing Fortnite. And I get that. But a couple things I would say, when I was out shopping my book before I decided to go indie on it, the publishing industry said a few things. Basically, at a high level, dumb it down. Shorten it, make it less complex, remove characters, narrow the story, and simplify the sentence structure and vocabulary. Strip it down. Basically, the industry is saying something like, the days of the Lord of the Rings are over. Like, we're not going to do that kind of book anymore. We're going to narrow it. We're going to do graphic novels. We're going to make simplified stories. That is an industry that has decided to entrench into their safety zone. And I get why they're doing that. That's the narrow band where they know they can get a certain amount of sales per book. But they're doing that at the time the video gaming industry is making it more complex. When we watch gamers play, uh, if you watch a Fortnite game or a Minecraft game and you watch a 10 to 13-year-old kid play that, they're playing it faster and a greater number of dimensions, significant complexity that they're managing. We do not need to simplify for kids. We don't yeah. need to dumb it down. But I would encourage the industry to say, look, at, let's have a lot of conversations about this. I don't can't yeah. pretend as little old me that I got the answer to all of this. But I do know that the industry isn't talking about it enough to say our competitor isn't Amazon book sales. It's Amazon's Twitch in the children's market. Right. The other part of that I would say is, One of the ways to talk about that is to say, how safe is gaming? And, you know, this is another discussion, but, you know, kids, when they go on a game, they are playing with players from all over the world, basically opening your living room to a lot of strangers. And there's a lot of organizations that are looking at the impact of that. The FBI has a lot of really good material on what's happening, the predatory behavior that is inside the gaming community is significant, large, and very, very effective in terms of going after kids on a grand scale. Books don't offer that same threat as the gaming industry and online world does. So there's a lot of discussion to go around that, too. That's something I think we need to have as a conversation as well when we talk about content for kids. Right, right. Well, what's next for the two course? Can readers look forward to another adventure soon? Yes, I am working on the second book. It is a series, and uh, the adventure continues, and the characters go into the next story. And like I said, I love writing, so I'm excited to get that out. And uh, so, yes, there will be a book, too, coming out. Nice, nice. Well, Janine, thank you so much for joining me today on Inside Scoop. It's really been a pleasure getting to know more about you and, and the two cores and the two cores journey. 
Thank you. I love talking about writing and storytelling, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to talk with you today. To our listeners, thank you for joining me today on Inside Scoop Live for my interview with Janine Kellogg, author of The Two Cores Journey. For more information about Janine and her book, visit her website at janinekellogg.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com.